Hello everyone, I am Brennan Sahajan and I tend bar at Washington State's best beer bar, the Manitou Tap House. I decided to make a podcast because the regular customers who come in are the most eclectic group of people I have ever met, and I want all of you to know the perspective and stories from the people from my... Today is my neighbor across the street. He frequents the Manitou Tap House and has an amazing story I never saw coming. His dad was a Spokane area fly fishing legend, Steve Moran, of Steve Moran's custom fly rods. I am proud to call him my friend and happy to share this poignant conversation with everybody. You're all going to love Sean Moran. Okay, we are going. It's live. It is. Um, And first... Of all, thank you for doing this. I appreciate it, and no, I appreciate no. your time. But I know that time is important, so that is what the first thing that I like to say. Fantastic. All right. Well, we're diving in. Question one. Question one. <laughs> yeah, it is. Who are you, and what led you to be that person? So, let me start off by saying, I right now we're about three days away from twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. So we're in 2019, a couple of days away from New Year's, and uh, I called you drunk the other night, <laughs> wanting to do your podcast, <laughs> because uh, we talked a few uh, months ago, before we, I think before we even recorded an episode, right? Yeah, it was. It was yeah. when I was throwing around the idea. Yeah, and I was like, yeah, that's kind of cool, man. Like, I love podcasts. <laughs> I listen to all of them. And uh, you told me the questions that you ask your guests, and it was really weird because... I had been thinking about those questions like in my life, kind of in general. Mm-hmm. Not all of them, you know, obviously, but uh, those were milling around in my brain a lot this year. Mm-hmm. And we'll get to why that is and all that. But so let's talk about like who I am. Yeah. Kind of interesting. We'll, we'll start back, start back at the beginning when I was just a wee boy. We're about a. Uh, about a, we're next door neighbors, and we're about a mile away from Manitou Tap House right now. And I grew up just three blocks away, mm-hmm. right there, in a little tiny house that housed four people. And uh, three blocks, which direction? North, so on oh. on thirty fourth. Oh. oh, oh, right there. And what? Uh, between Division and Tico, in that little block. Oh, seriously? Yeah. I- yeah. Oh, I didn't know. Grew up there. I knew you oh, I knew you were up here. I just didn't know right yeah. there. And so, uh my dad this is good like we're, what we're getting into is going to answer basically probably about three of your questions mainly, but uh Let's go. My old man uh his day job was he worked at Inland Foundry and he was a furnace operator mm-hmm. which they had like a lot of contracts for like the city. They did like sewer lids and uh you know when you go downtown and there's like a tree on the sidewalk and there's like that metal grate on, right. on the bottom? Yeah, yeah. They built that. So he was a furnace operator, so he would literally pour molten iron into molds and like fucking all these sparks are going everywhere. It was crazy. Like I went to his job a couple times and I'm like, this is, this is some real man shit. Like smelting, going, you know, pouring liquid metal. Wow. So was it was it like no lights and stuff? So, no, yeah, it was terrifying. Dude, it was terrifying. I, he brought me there a few times, and it was just like dirt no and dust and, and king, yeah, king yeah, in the background and <laughs> just metal oh. being poured and like hot and sparks and just all that shit was going on. But his and his uh, 
spare time. So whenever he came home, he was in the garage and he built custom fly rods. Mm. And I'm assuming some, you know, your listeners have got to be mainly probably Spokane locals, I'm, I'm sure. My old man, turns out, was like a legend in the fly rod building scene, like the fly fishing mm. scene, big time, mm. huge. And growing up as a kid, my experience with him is like, we would go like every weekend or nearly every weekend, like fly fishing, mm. just all the lakes around here. We like, I've been to literally like every lake. It's crazy. Do you know what a float tube is? A flow tube? Float tube. Yeah. So you use like a 18 wheeler tube, I think, mm. I think is what they are, but a big ass like tube that you'd float a river on. Okay. And... In a, like a float tube is a, that's on the inside. That's what keeps you afloat. But then they built like an outer, uh, like nylon cover around it and it has pockets and there's like a back to it. And then there's, there's netting that you sit on. Yeah. Yeah. And when you're, you're using a float tube, you'll wear like waders and fins so you don't get wet and then you can paddle around. Mm -hmm. And that's what we'd go fishing in is all these, like just all the lakes around here in a float tube. And he had a tent trailer and we would just go everywhere and like part of the deal for him is he wanted to go to all these places and be like hey you catching fish you know he just, he was so chatty and he would just start talking with everyone and be like well yeah what are you using to fish with and like oh yeah um look at this this is what i'm using they're like oh this is beautiful this is an amazing fly rod and he's like oh yeah i build them here's my card so like yeah <laughs> everybody talked to super friendly but he was also real passionate about it and he helped everyone like just do it and basically so one of my first memories with him like i was so young that i he i could fit in his waders like he would be wearing a pair of waders he sat me in there and we went out fishing on this place called lake lenore and my dad was big into like chasing big fish like wherever they're like i i i hear there's big fish in this lake he would go and try to get them kind of thing you know and uh, I remember being in his waders and he's like casting out and everything. And all of a sudden this fish just rises. And like, I was like, dude, this thing is the size of me. We're, we're trying to get this. <laughs> I don't want to be anywhere near this fucking fish. I think it's huge. Can we swear on here? Yeah. Ah, okay. Just make sure. So anyway, growing up as a kid, that's kind of like what, what I, I remember doing. Bass? No, no, a big trout, a Lahotan cutthroat. So I have a few photos here to, to show Brian. I came prepared. I was doing some searching last night. So that's me, really young. That's at Lake Lenore there. This is also at Lake Lenore. Pretty young. I'm just, I'm showing. showing big fish. Yeah, I'm showing Brennan. And it's not what it used to be. And this is just like me. Well, I mean, I don't know how small you are, but how big is that fish? That's a big ass fish. Yeah, that looks like. I mean, 30, 30, 28, yeah. 32 inches. Like, it's a big, big wow. fish. So I'm just showing them just kind of like me through the ages. This is how I grew up, just fly fishing everywhere. I mean, you can see the different places we're at. Yeah. Gosh. And I had a really weird experience two years ago <clears throat> where uh, my wife and daughter and I went camping at this spot. And... Uh, she put the baby down to bed and I was like sitting by the campfire drinking a beer and it was a like full moon out and I'm just, I just kind of like enjoying myself and I'm like, well, I'm going to walk down to the water. What the hell is a full moon? 
And I walk down to the water and I uh, just shine a light in the water for some reason. I had a flashlight on me. And all of a sudden I see all these crawdads like in the water. And I'm like, what the hell? And I start looking around the way the the hillside comes into the lake and the way from the campsite, the way the road comes into the towards the lake for where you, where you lock, launch a boat. Mm-hmm. And then the way the hillsides are. And a fire ripped through there about five years ago and burnt down everything. And I was like, wait a minute. If you put a bunch of trees on here on the opposite hillside where it burnt, I started just looking around and I looked at the crowd. I'm like, I've been here before. And I came driving into town and I called my old man. I'm like, yeah, we're up by, uh, oh shit, what's the name of that town? Republic, Washington. Mm Mm-hmm. And there's a little uh, south of town. There's a little area where there's three lakes. Yeah. And I'm like, we're in the we're in, I'm at this lake uh, near Republic, and he's like, oh yeah, we used to go there all the time when you're a kid. Like he took me to so many different spots that I totally forgot it, and then had this weird realization, like, you know what? Probably 20 years later. Wow. It's crazy. That's very cool. Yeah. And so I just grew up doing this, being in like this fishing fly. It was all like fly fishing culture. Like I don't know if you know about, like. The only fly fishing culture I know about is the river runs through it. Right. But the yeah, thing about, the thing like about river, it, like... It's different. It is weird these days. Like, people get... And it's still, you know, it was kind of true growing up then. Like, oh, I'm a fly fisherman. I don't deal with spin fishing, which is all bullshit. Like, yeah. if you go outside and enjoy it, then, then have fun, man. Yeah. And so, as I got older... Uh, he st- he started he was really big into uh, pheasant hunting as well, mm. and that's kind of when I started pheasant hunting. We we can get into that later if if, if that's where 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 we go. But what I really want to tell you about is uh, we started going up to this place called uh, the Saint Joe River. Yeah, and for people listening, like Spokane is known as the the River City because the Spokane River you know flows right through. The middle of downtown basically i've actually caught a fish fly fishing right below the monroe street bridge i had a night it was like a 14 inch trout i was catching it and i looked over to my right and i see a big building that says amc the amc is right there and i'm like this is weird like yeah. <laughs> i'm in the middle of downtown like yeah it was, it was weird yeah i hope you did not eat that fish no absolutely no okay. yeah. <laughs> i i don't know i'm not i'm not really yeah you got to be careful and Especially no. at the Spokane River. Yeah. So for everyone listening, uh, the Spokane River comes out of Lake Coeur d'Alene, and the two main rivers that feed Lake Coeur d'Alene are the Coeur d'Alene River and then the St. Joe that goes through St. Mary's. So my dad, as a kid, would always, his family would went up to the St. Joe all the time. Yeah. And I fished on the St. Joe. Before. Have you been there? Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. so beautiful. So if you drive up the St. Joe from basically where we are right now, uh, it's like a three and a half, four hour drive. And what happens is a, you'll be going along the St. Joe for, you know, three and a half hours. You'll get to a campground called Spruce Tree and then the road ends. Mm-hmm. But there is an 18 mile trail called Trail 48. And so I, there are designations to like wilderness and there's like certain designation. There's wilderness and then wild and scenic. And that area of the St. Joe is called Wild and Scenic. So you, at least back in the day, I think they changed it now, but you, you were able to ride mountain bikes, but there's no motorized vehicles past this point. Yeah. 
So you, you used to be able to ride mountain bikes. You could walk, obviously, backpack and all this. But there's no motorcycles. There's no ATVs. It's, it's, it's a, you can use a chainsaw. So, like, in a wilderness, you can't even use, like, a chainsaw. You, if you want to cut anything, it all has to be by hand. So, anyway, the road ends. There's a campground, 18-mile stretch of uh, trail. And five miles up that trail is a lodge. And it was built in 1945. And the owners of the lodge originally, they were, it was like a hunting lodge. And they, you know, hunted that area for years. And my dad, when he was young, younger, became the fly fishing guide there. Like they didn't, they were just like, yeah, the river here, but I don't think people are going to pay to come up and fly fish here. (laughs) And they're like, and then one day they were like, we need some food. This is back a long time ago, back when you could still keep fish up there. They're like, we need food. And my dad was like, oh, I'll go catch you some fish. And they're like, I mean, what are you talking about? It's like, how many fish do you need? They're like, we need three or four. And he's like, okay. He came back like 45 minutes later, had three fish. Like, Here, here's dinner. And they're like, okay, who is this guy? And they ended up, he ended up becoming the fishing guide up there. And then they switched it to, it's all catch and release now. So all the native cutthroat is all catch and release. And he, uh, so he was the fishing guide up there for a long time. And then when I became probably, I mean, when he was, when I was younger, he probably started taking me up there, but going up to the lodge, I had to be, I would assume, assume like 10 or 11, something like that. And, uh, so was your brother there all this time too? A little bit. Uh, my brother and my dad, so my brother's five years older than me. And I kind of learned this later. Like my dad made a lot of mistakes with my brother. Mm. And then those mistakes he like fixed with me. So he would do things like my brother would be like, I want to go. I want to go fishing. I want to go fishing. My dad's like, all right, let's go. Let's go. We're going. And then it would be some miserable, cold, windy day and you'd take him. Yeah. And it just takes the fun out of it, you know? Yeah, and my, and eventually my brother got to the point where he's like, I'm not into this. So my dad was like, okay, well, I'm not going to do that with the second son. Dad, can I go? Can I go? And he's like, no, you can't. And then he would leave without me. And that would just like make my drive even more. Like I am going, <laughs> like, yeah. you know what I mean? It really got a fire in my ass to where I really wanted to go. Yeah. So my dad is the guide up at this lodge and he starts taking me up there and we did a few hike-ins, and it's, so it's five miles in. So you got to imagine, I can't stress this enough through this story, that you are two hours from, a near, from the nearest town, and that town has nothing in it. I yeah. mean, there's... It's a gas station. It's, it's a gas station. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you have a gas station. I mean, so they could call for help. Um, but the nearest city is, you know three hours away that has like a, a, a hospital or Spokane that's like three and a half, four yeah. hours away, depending on how you're driving. Yeah. And then that's to the road. And then you have a five mile horse bike or walk in to the lodge. So he started taking me up there and eventually the owners of the lodge were like, Hey, you're, we have a son about my age. And, uh, my dad started taking me up there and we took a few times where they they brought horse because they take all their stuff via horseback. Mm-hmm. So they started taking me in, my dad and I, and like we would ride horses. Like it's the coolest thing when you're a kid, you know, just you're riding horses. The, uh, you have six river crossings. Dang. So this is all walking way like 
they have to wait usually till the 4th of July or the week after the 4th of July to where the water's low enough that they can cross. Or there's a high trail, but the high trail has a lot of up and down, and it's a, just a real pain to – it's hard, man. Like, you have to have your lungs on you if you're going to do that that trail. And so we would do that a few times. We'd go into this lodge and just have a good time. And this, you know, younger kid was there, and he's like, hey, you want to play around? And we'd have slingshots and BB guns and just go cause hell up in this lodge area. And I started getting a little bit older, and what happened is – my dad would have, he would go in there for like a weekend and he would have clients that he'd have to guide for like, let's say the weekend, you know, mm-hmm. and then he'd have clients that he'd have to guide the next weekend, but he still had a day job. So he would guide clients, ride his mountain bike out, sometimes at dark. I did this with a few times too. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Dude, you have a mountain bike with lights on, you're going through the middle of the wilderness basically. Yeah. And then he would go out and, uh, you know, go to work and then come back the next week and guide clients. Well, I remember specifically at this one point in my life, he was like, well, you're getting the hang of being up here, you know? And their son, his name was Wyatt. He's like, you could hang out here for Wyatt for the week. And then I'll go into town and work. And then I'll come back the next week to guide those clients. And then when I'm done there, you come out with me. And I was like, dude, this is awesome. So I'm, I'm a, it's, I'm pretty fuzzy on like the exact ages that I was, but I'm, I'm going to say like 12, 13 now. So dude, I'm up in the middle of the woods at this lodge, 12 or 13. That's crazy. And we would pack a lunch and we would talk to the clients that were up there or whatever. It's like, Hey, we're, what are you guys doing today? Oh, we're just going to fish around the lodge or we're going to go down river. And me and Wyatt would go like, well, we'll pack a lunch. And we just walked up river. Until we didn't want to walk anymore, and then we would just fish, fly fish our way down this, you know, top ten streams of the nation, like <laughs> fly fish our way down. It's crazy. That is so crazy. But also, like I think about it too, and it kind of terrifies me. It's like, dude, I was like twelve years old. Yeah, that's how old Ike is. Four or five, four or five miles away upriver of the lodge. So now I'm ten miles from the nearest road. Four hours to a city. Wow. That, I mean, that's an incredible experience. So the lodge was built in 1945 uh, without a chainsaw. Mm. And some people, I think when you say like, I'm going to a lodge, like they imagine skiing kind of because that's yeah. where most lodges are. This is not that. Like, uh, Here's a photo of it. Oh, dude. Yeah. That's so awesome. It's just a log cabin that they used to... I don't know if you've ever seen... Uh, I've, what is his name? Gnome, Gnome Pekini or whatever. I don't know. There's a, there's a YouTube and an old PBS show of this... I think... I can't remember exactly his name. But he went up to Alaska and built like a cabin and lived there for a year in the middle of the woods. It's kind of like that. But if if you look at that structure for very long... You can realize there's some real talent that built that. Hmm. It's weird. Like, there's no chainsaws, but the logs are together. And if you see some log cabins, like, in between the logs, they'll put, like, a bunch of stuffing. Totally. To, like, you know, so because there's a gap in there. There's no gap. Like, the logs are tight. Like, some of the the dovetails 
where the the logs come together. Yeah. Dude, you can't slip a piece of paper in between them. Wow. It's insane. And so you have the main lodge. You have uh, two outbuildings that are literally just boxes. And from the the road to the lodge, that five-mile stretch, about three miles in, there's an old abandoned uh, garnet mine that used to be there. Mm -hmm. And there was these two boxes, and somehow they moved them up to the lodge. So that's like what the guests sleep in. Wow. And then you have the lodge, you have a wash house where the owner and the wife sleep. And then there's two showers and two places to wash up in like a freezer. And everything's ran on propane. Mm-hmm. And this whole operation is done with horses. <laughs> so all the gear, all the propane, all the hay to feed the horses, all the food, everything comes up on a horse. Via horseback. So... In my story, I, I'm doing this thing where a few times a year, like I'll stay up there for like a week, uh, 10 days, something like that. Yeah. Everyone, like maybe two weeks or something crazy. Like my dad's like, I don't have clients till two weeks. I'll come up and get you then. And it's, it's, oh, dude, it's, it's, it's a paradise. Like, wow. You, you cross the river, this, this meadow opens up, you have, like the these giant mountains come up on either side you walk into towards the end of the meadow there's like where the 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 trees thicken and there's this crazy lodge and and they're bringing in now at this point the hunting has kind of fallen off and the fly fishing has begun because it's way easier and it's much more profitable like you have all these Wealthy guys from oftentimes wealthy guys from back east that are like, the St. Joe River is a blue, blue ribbon stream and we want to come up here for an adventure. We're going to take a six mile horseback ride to a lodge in the middle of the Bitterroot Mountains. Like, it's insane. Yeah. And so, most 98% of the clients are like in their best behavior because they're on an awesome vacation. You know what I mean? It's great. Yeah. And the food is like all home cooked shit. Like the, the, she wakes up at like four o'clock in the morning, make all the bread is just homemade bread kneaded by her hand. Like it's awesome. It's so good. It's not healthy, but it's super good for you. <laughs> and, uh, so I do that for kind of like a couple years and then I get to the age. See, I'm a little wishy-washy on the age. I want to say probably 16, 17, somewhere in there. And, uh, they're like, hey, now that you're coming up here and fishing and doing all this, and you're like, let's put you to work a little bit. And if I remember right, uh, allegedly, uh, I don't remember getting paid that first year. But now they were teaching me how to like uh, work with the horses. Mm-hmm. So me and their son, Wyatt, uh, would learn how to put all the stuff on the horses. Like you have to weigh you have to just sit there and like weigh hay bales and like make sure they're within five pounds and you strap them up on either side. So they like rock evenly. And then you're, you're using three different types of knots to bring hay in six miles. Yeah. (laughs) And so this becomes like a big meantime, like my dad comes up like, you know, every few weeks or every week depending on what the client uh load is you know what i mean mm-hmm. so i'm up there now i'm uh 
little bit older. I'm wearing a cowboy hat and Wranglers, tight shirt, cowboy boots. Wow. Kick it. Yeah, man. Fucking legit cowboy. Uh, so it, uh, on horses, when you ca- it's called catch a horse. You have a rope and then it's attached to a halter. And the halter is the thing that goes across mm-hmm. their head, right? So we make a thing called a, a pegging um, or a breakaway. And you take a uh, bale of hay and you know the twine that goes around that bale yeah. of hay. You double it up so now it's smaller. And then you make two loops so it's like a figure eight, but an extra O. So it's like a, th- a three eight. Yeah. And then you loop that through the horse in front of it. And then you put that lead rope through that. And that's what holds the horses together. Horses are so damn strong that if they get pissed or stopped or in trouble and they pull back, they can break that. Yeah. They just snap it. Just so you can Im- imagine like you're taking... You're, you're the rider and then you have your lead horse and then I've had up to like 12 horses behind that that are all just tied together. Yeah. 12 horses? It's a lot. That was the max. We actually tried to do it like, how many do you want? Like, when you're up, it's weird. When you, So when I started working up there, like you work all month and then you get four days off a month. Wow. So I'm in the woods. It's quite the job. Yeah, it's a lot. And dude, a lot of people quit, man. And there's crazy stories of people going up that like, it's insane. Like, and you know, that's why I kind of want to talk to you about this podcast because I don't think most people have this kind of experience. Like just being in the woods for a 12 months straight or not uh, a month straight and then getting four days off is, is crazy. Yeah. And so, and then there's a thing, uh, well, we'll get to that a little bit later, but, uh, yeah, it was just wild, man. Like learning how to do all this, uh, normally they, uh, put new horseshoes on all their horses at the beginning of the year, mm-hmm. but depending on how long you're going to be up there, we would usually have to shoe all the horses once a year and dude, that is fucking insane. Yeah. Like five miles, you know, away from a road and you have to get like on their hind legs, you have to stretch out their leg all the way and have it, you have to be sitting in like chair position if you're doing yoga and a horse's leg is in between your legs. And now you have to like scrape away and clip their nails and, and then a, get a shoe to fit on it the correct way. You have to hit it on the anvil to like shape it properly. Yeah. And then you have to drive fucking nails through their feet. Like it's, uh, yeah, it's crazy. And one time, this was before I was working there. I was up river fishing. This was before you know I didn't have a job or anything, so it's just up river fishing. Like, hey, and all of a sudden this uh, helicopter came flying in low, and I was like, "Whoa, helicopter, cool!" I was like waving at it in the middle of the river, and then it it does a circle basically right by me and goes back towards the lodge. I'm like, "That's weird." So I fish all day, and then I get back to the lodge, and after a while, I was like, "Hey." Uh, the wrangler they had up there at the time, his name was John, this guy from Texas, little skinny feller. I was like, uh, where's John at? And they're like, uh, he was shoeing a horse. Oh, dear God. He used to uh, wear these long shaps, and the boss was down there when it happened, and uh, he turned away, and what he thinks is 
is that the the horse probably pulled a little bit and then got kind of caught up in the shafts because they were like long ones and flicked flicked him away flicked john away off of him basically and crushed the side of his face he it broke like his skull jaw wired shut oh my gosh yeah that's a horse doing this just yeah. brushing off his shoulder it's crazy so yeah he got he got real messed up and then uh, helicopter came and got him so that was nice that was a nice thing like working at the lodge specifically because at that day and age they had a they or they still do they have like a some type of radio up there that they can use and now and now they have a a, a satellite phone so they can actually make sure. make calls yeah holy smokes dude mm-hmm. are you still friends with Wyatt mm-hmm We'll get to that in a little bit. Um, yeah, he, he, Wyatt's a good guy. I like him a lot. Uh, I mean, it, it, you know, even more of an interesting life for him just because, like, he kind of had to be up there. And I've, I sort of feel like he didn't want to be up there as m- much as, like, I did because I came from the city. Yeah. I think he wanted to be more, like, in the city rather than having to do that. You know, I guess sure. it's one of those things where... If you have to do something, you might not necessarily want to do it. But if you get to do something, you oh, yeah. you enjoy it, you know. Yeah, totally. So this goes on for a while. Um, one year, um, the barn burns down. Uh, yeah, so there's a outbuilding the barn, yeah. and, and it ends up burning down. And uh, the next year is when I really became like a full, like a paid employee and all this shit. So we had to rebuild the barn so like we would make our hay runs or get guests or whatever and then come back and build a pole barn yeah (laughs) this guy became like a carpenter (laughs) there are times where i'm like you know 20 feet in the air like balancing on a on a log beam and like we have to nail these things in (laughs) dude i think about some of this stuff now it's crazy it's crazy man yeah so we did all that so one more thing i want to tell you kind of about the the I mean, it's so fun up there because like, there's no TV. There's nothing. It's just you're in the you're in the woods with people, yeah. and as long as there was a big thing about morale, like as long as everyone's smiling, it's fun. But if if one person gets pissed, it can get weird. Like, and I've been pissed up there at people, and it's not fun. Hmm. It's weird. You have to change. You have to correct it and stop. Like, you just have to be like, hey, if you have a problem with me, we need to talk about it right now. We need to get past this because. It's just bad. Like you're 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 like stuck with people, kind of on an island. Yeah. And that's why a lot of the the people working up there would just be like, "We're out." Um. One of the other ex- most exciting things we would do. So let me tell you a little bit about. So you have the lodge, and then about two hundred yards away, you have the corral where all the horses were, and then the barn, and then you have this big meadow for about. 250 yards of a meadow and then you have your first river crossing right away Mm -hmm. and and then you kind of go around this hillside and there's this real steep mountain that goes right kind of into the river and then the trail is just kind of cuts across that and then you have another uh couple crossings just right after about it seems like once you get into river crossings it's like they're pretty close to each other you know what i mean and then eventually, about two miles away, you have a thing called what we call the Big Meadow. Mm-hmm. Everything was labeled up there, so you knew where you were. It's like, 
hey, uh, we're down at the dead horse hole. We're at the eyebrow. Like, you just say something and someone would know where you are or where you were going. Yeah. Well, depending on how many horses we would have, uh, like, let's say we had a bunch of horses because we had a bunch of people coming in. So we had to take all those people and all their stuff up. But then they left, and now we have all these horses, but there aren't going to be very many people up there for a while. So we would have to just feed all these horses, which means you just have to make trips going back and forth to feed all these horses for no reason. So I believe they had a permit, and what we could do is kick out some of our horses to the big meadow so they could just graze in this big meadow. We don't have to... Yeah. We don't have to bring all this hay and feed and grain in for them or, or work them or anything like that. Looking back on it, craziest shit ever. We'd get the horses we wanted to kick out in the corral, and then we would get the horses we wanted to keep, tie them up at the feed bank, feed them some hay so they're fine. Whichever wranglers wanted to do it, I everyone always did because it is fun, the funnest thing for a young dude. You start, you'd get in the corral and you start riling them up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Fucking hitting them with your spurs. Your horse is jumping. Whoosh, whoosh. You're hitting your rings on them. All the horses are going, what is going on? And you get them circling around. Mm-hmm. Dust is flying up. They're like, what's going on now? What are we doing? What are we doing? You, you And you just do that for a while until everyone is fired up. And then someone opens the front gate once everyone is in position, the two riders are kind of behind the herd of the horses, and they're all herded up now because shit isn't going real. It's, it's getting crazy right now. And you're, yeah, and they open up the gate, and everyone breaks out across the meadow at a full run. And you have to do it this way. You can't just be like, here, here you go. Here's the meadow. And you're running full speed across this meadow, and you hit the first river crossing. <laughs> Water, there's pictures of it. Water is just... Just you can imagine, you know, you're talking about twelve horses running across a river that's like yeah, knee or thigh deep. Yeah, and then you're running, and we've all we always did it in times that we thought there wouldn't be anyone on the trail. Mm-hmm. But what did I tell you about the trail? Is right around after that first crossing, it is a mountainside going into the water with a trail that kind of cuts through it. Dude, if there if there was ever someone on that trail, dude. Yeah, it's yeah. totally trampled. Yeah, everyone and dude, we, and then all of a sudden, like you'd have horses break off, and I remember once just now I have to cut off to the left, and this horse just jumps off like a five foot cliff in into the river, and I, my horse is like I can't, we're, there's no there's no stopping, we're on speeder bikes here, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, you just you and then you just and then eventually at some point in time things they kind of realize what's going on, they get into a group. They run down the trail, and then you have a few more river crossings. You kick them into the, the big meadow, and as soon as you do, you just turn around and start coming back into adrenaline, full full tilt. You are fired up. We, we Like, everyone wanted to do that. Like, hey, are we in a position where we could wrangle the horses? And they're like, no, dude, we only have five. It's fine. <laughs> it was crazy, man. It was full on, full on shit. So, wow. Yeah. <laughs> like, all this stuff is really foreign to me, but man, oh, yeah. I can just imagine it. It's crazy. And this whole time, I can't stress enough, you are in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. 
anything goes wrong, you you got a helicopter coming to get you. Yeah, and then I think my times are just not great. I think I would love to sit down. I would like to someday I might do this and get all the times right. But I think it was maybe that year they were selling the hunting end of their business. So how it worked at least back then in Idaho is there was an area, their unit where they could guide hunters and guide fishermen. No one else could guide in that area. Mm -hmm. It's national forest. So anyone could go up there and hunt or fish if you want to, but you can't guide, like you can't get paid as an industry. They have that area. And, they were going to sell the hunting in because they were sick of how much work goes into it. Mm. And a guy that was worked up there, his name was also Sean, uh, he was buying the hunting in. And the plan was he was going to buy the hunting in, he was going to have the hunting part of it. And then for me, I was, the way I remember it is I was going to graduate high school. I was working up there and then I was going to graduate or I was going to graduate high school. Then I was going to work up there. And then when they closed, I was going to go work for him in the hunting. Yeah. Now, like talk, hearing stories about the hunting part of it up there, it's way crazier because you, I mean, obviously the, the cold, yeah. like you're on a horse and everything's freezing cold. And then obviously daylight hours, but then, uh, like, dealing with what it was like you have to wake up at like four in the morning you have to saddle up all the horses while it's blistering cold no light like all in a headlamp and then you have to get hunters on your horses during the dark and then you have to get to the hunting spot by the time it's light dear god and then you have to hunt all day that sounds miserable (laughs) (laughs) there's all kinds of stories of everything going wrong why would anybody want to buy that part of the business that sounds horrible yeah it's crazy and let alone me wanting to do it oh yeah (laughs) so you know i get into all this with my dad you know like fly fishing and his end of it and then i start getting into the horses and all this and then so this guy buys so were you wearing wranglers in a cowboy hat at lc Mm -mm. (laughs) good question the funniest shit man (laughs) So, my friends here in town, I think I would describe them best as uh, people who, you know, South Hill kids who uh, took rap music a little too literally. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Plenty, plenty of drugs. Uh, some weed uh, salesmen, which nowadays seems ridiculous. But, yeah. And honestly... Some of the people that we ran with, I really didn't like, but I have a lot of good friends still from that kind of time in my life. And they're, they're great. They didn't want to like do anything wrong, but it's like, Hey man, my friends wanted to smoke weed and I was down to make a buck. Like win, win for everyone really. You know what I mean? And so let me tell you about our days off real quick. (laughs) So you get four days off. It's like, all right, Sean. Tomorrow's your your four days off. Okay. So like I could sleep in and then wake up. No. I would set my alarm for four o'clock in the morning, go down to the barn myself, find the, the fastest horse, saddle that girl up, 
fucking ride six miles as fast as I could to my car. <laughs> Get in my car, brrr, cruise to town. I'd be into town by 10 o'clock. I mean, my friends weren't even up. Strip down, start doing my laundry. Oh, dude. I like stripped down, had all my clothes piled up. I went and took a shower and then came back and like walked into the laundry room. And it was just like, whoo, what is that smell, dude? Start doing all my laundry and all that shit. And then, uh, yeah, put on my baggy pants, <laughs> my cool guy clothes and give my friend a call. It's like, oh man, you're back in town. All right, man, we're going to come pick you up. They pick you up like the, you know, someone hands me a pipe like, we're doing it. Like, let's party. It was, you know, it's crazy. Yeah. I had these gangster ass friends, dude. I, I'd come back into town like if anyone knew that I was just <laughs> shooing a horse two days ago. They didn't know that that's what you were doing. My good friends knew, like, oh, you just came back from the Joe. None of them really knew though. Wow. Straight up cowboy. But then like some of their friends, like some of those guys were like gangsters, dude. They would be like some of them went to jail. One of them's in prison. Like, oh yeah. One of them did an attempted shooting. Like. And they'd be like, what's up, Sean? I haven't seen in a while. What have you been up to? I'm like, oh, I've you know, been working. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, true. <laughs> These fucking gangsters with a quarter pound of elite, like, back in the day when it was illegal, weed, like, underneath, like, crazy, dude. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's, that's a... Yeah. And then, yeah. It was, oh, it was a switcheroo. And then, yeah. so one of the things that's interesting is during that time of my life, as you can imagine, not a lot of women up in the middle of the woods. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I would come back into town and like break my neck at any, like any lady driving by me like, oh my God, that's, that's a female. Holy smokes. <laughs> I remember I saw this girl walking like two blocks down the street on Sprague. I'm like, oh my God, I, there's, that girl, she has a booty on her. Like, holy shit. We get closer, we get closer. Like, oh man, blonde hair. Like, look at this chick. Gig a little bit closer. It's like a, like a 80s, like butt rocker guy. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh dude, I've been in the woods too long. And it was so difficult, like trying to have a conversation, like, cause you know, hanging out with all these dudes you know there were women around like like sean what have you been up to i'm like you know just uh just working like up in the woods like what's that like i'm like man you know yeah it's i can't even like start to talk it's so for it's foreign to everyone it's crazy yeah. like people don't generally like there are people that live deep in the woods for sure and there are these outfitters that still do it and yeah. but it's not common it's definitely not common it was crazy man yeah so, let me get into some real crazy stories. <laughs> yeah, we haven't even touched it. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. Hunting season. Yeah. So, this is this guy's first year. He knows the area. He's good at building a camp. And so, he has two groups of clients. A group of four and then a group of two. So, the first one, I'm not going to get into the details, but... It's the opposite end of the river from where I was normally talking about. Mm -hmm. So I said it's an 18-mile uh, stretch of trail. Yeah. We're at the other end of the trail, and that's where his base camp is. So the first group is six miles in to the hunting camp. And his mom... So his uncle, I think, originally helped fund him on this because he wanted to help. 
he's a, a fairly wealthy guy and he wanted to kind of establish that and his nephew was gung-ho on buying this and getting into doing this. Mm-hmm. So his uncle came and his mother came. His mother was cooking. His uncle's just ha- helping around camp, which if you have a bunch of good people, like the more the merrier is, is awesome. So we get up to this campsite. We set up camp, ready to go. Clients are coming into two days, in in two days, and the boss is somewhere else. So it's me, his mom, and his uncle. And this is the first wreck I'm going to tell you about. Uh, a wreck. Remember, those horses are are tied up behind me. I think I have four behind me. Mm-hmm. And a wreck is when this happens. So we have this one horse that has two coolers on either side of it and it's all the meat is in it all the frozen meat because we're going to be up there for i think a week and my uh my boss we're talking about how we're gonna set these coolers on the deer on the horse sorry and i was like we should put the rope underneath that the handles and he's like man i don't know i don't think that's the way to really to really do it and i was like that seems right. And he w- he went with it. He was just like, okay, we'll, we'll give it a shot. Which, in retrospect, he should have been like, nah, man. Like, we're not doing that. So we're about three miles in. I have, you know, his uncle's leading, his mom's right in front of me, then I'm back with the four horses. We come up this big, uh, pretty steep little knob. And you're, you, you crest the top of it, and then I start coming down. Mm-hmm. The horse with the coolers of meat is the very last horse. And you have to watch. You have to be real careful when you start doing things like going steep uphill or steep downhill because you have to go way slower than you think because there's horses behind you doing maneuvers where they have to like, right. they're either, it's either really hard for them or, or fast for them. To, so you just have to, you have to watch. Well, there's this big stick that hooked underneath that rope. Oh geez! That hooked the coolers together, and it was a big stick. It wasn't like no twig. Yeah, and it caught and it hooked, and the the horse kind of spooked like shit. And then that branch said, "Mm-mm, these coolers are coming off." And because I said to put the rope in between the hand or through the handles, that horse freaks out because the coolers are coming off its back. Meat is spilling, dropping down its legs. It's going, fuck, fuck, something's attacking me. It's like bucking. And all the other horses go, shit, something's attacking this fucking thing. We're Let's run. So all of a sudden, I have horses on either side of me. Their ropes are going around my back. Oh, my gosh. I take out a knife. You do. And this job, you carry a knife on you all the time. Pop the knife, just start cutting ropes. Just They're all loose. So these ones are loose. This fucker's still broken because the rope now has got tangled around its leg and there's coolers attached to it. Yeah. And it is going, fuck you. We're having a rodeo. I'm out of here. And so where we were, we, we cut it. We came up this knoll and went steep downhill and it flattened out a little bit and then it went up a little ways. 
And this thing just rodeoed, bucking, bronking. Is it squealing and stuff too? Not squealing, but it's just. Ah, ah! It, it's not. It's not making noises, but it's kicking and making a commotion because it has coolers wrapped around its legs. Yeah. And it goes running off, and I'm like, <laughs> and everyone's like, "Whoa, what's happening? What's happening?" I'm like, "Oh shit, shit, shit." There's, you know, white packages of frozen meat strung across the trail. All the other deer are like, what's that guy's deal? Like, they're pretty calm now. I'm like, oh, man. <sighs> like, looking around, taking a look at what happened. And all of a sudden, I hear, <laughs> coming towards us again. And he's, he ran away, and now he's running back. <laughs> Just kicking, bucking, something's on its leg. And this thing runs right and that I'm in the front now. It's for some reason I I don't I don't really remember why, but I go in front because I had those two the the his mom and then the uncle in front of me. Mm-hmm. For some reason I'm in, in front of them. And this horse comes like barreling in. I'm like shit. And I first I, I take some steps towards it actually. And as it gets close to me. I just reach out and I grab the, the lead rope that its halter is tied to. I fucking wind up as hard as I can and I punch the sucker in the nose as hard as I can. Now, <laughs> if anyone's listening to this and they're like, this is wrong, like, you weren't there. Oh my gosh. Because what happened is he quit carrying caring about what was attacking his legs and he looked at me like this guy's the problem and it it threw its head back and i popped him one more time and he's like like his eyes get way big and he's like whoa like what's a lot's going on right now i'm like okay and i i go calm down and his eyes are like i'm really confused like what is the threat right now i put my hand on his nose so he's smelling me and then I reach up on his withers and what horses do to calm each other is they kind of massage that top thing on their neck. Yeah. I'm like, all right, calm down. And it's, it's just like, <laughs> it is like lathered up in a, like he was real worked up and he's just, <laughs> and I have my hand on my nose, like calm down, calm down. And he's eventually he kind of lowers it down a little bit. There's a stick about a quarter of an inch sticking out of his, out of his shoulder. Uh-huh. And I'm like, yeah. stabbed himself. Oh yeah, yeah. Just going through the woods, and I'm like, okay. I grab it, slowly pull it out. It's not a big deal. <laughs> and so he still has wrapped around his hind legs a cooler, and the rope is still kind of like wrapped around it. I'm kind of looking at it, and I'm, you know, I'm now he, he's calming down a little bit. He's not running around. It's not flailing, and I kind of rock him back and forth. And he loosens it up a little bit. And I could see there's a little hole. It's kind of forming and loosening. It's not tight now. Now it's loose. Mm-hmm. And he's able to take one step and step out of that, that hole. So now there isn't any rope. Or, now I don't have to grab his leg. Because I last thing I want to do is have to grab his fired up leg and have him yeah. boot my head across the river. You know what I mean? Right. So, okay. He's come. And then we just... I untangled the rope, took the the coolers off, repacked the coolers, put it back on them, took them the next two miles up to it. So, we do that. I took a... Uh, and you're like 17 years old? How old are you at this? Time? Yeah. 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 Whoa. That's yeah. That's crazy. And then, 
So, <laughs> and then I ended up guiding a hunter. I've never big game hunted in my life. So uh, I ended up taking a, a guy hunting, like no idea what I'm doing. I was just like, if you guys are listening and thinking about getting an outfitter to go hunting, like do some research, make sure your guides are good. <laughs> so, okay, one more story. We got to get it before we wrap up the St. Joe's segment of the podcast. Uh, this is, yeah, this is the one. So those clients came. One guy got a shot on the elk, missed it, had a great time, man. Like big tips, just cool guys had a great time got them out everything was fine the uncle and the mom leave they're gone so now he's got two clients left and uh it's it's on us so he's guiding them we end up going to town and he gets a cook for the time that they're there we're in what's called a drop camp from where we are we have to ride 18 miles one way to get to it so we have to leave camp we go straight up to the towards the highest peak of that area and then we drop down to the river cross the river and then go up the opposite peak on the other side of it and then that's where the camp is so we get the camp set up get the cook in there he's kind of doing his thing we have a bunch of food lined up like he's got this and he's actually a really good cook which I mean, there's plenty of cook stories in these situations that could not go well. These guys come in from West Virginia. We pick them up. It's like, all right, we're going to go to camp today. We ride them in 18 miles. They hunt, and now I'm by myself, and I'm supplying the camp. So I'm riding uh, 18 miles one way, so 36 miles in a day, back and forth, just like kind of dropping off shit, and that he's making sure I'm okay. Still, so nowadays there's a thing called a Garmin inReach where you could push a button and like uh, 911 is alerted and they have your GPS coordinates. They know where you are and all this. Yeah. I don't have any of that. Yeah. I'm just on a horse. <laughs> there's this one time that really sticks out in my mind. I think about this out a lot. You know, a switchback where the trail yeah. does this. This is like a really extreme switchback. It's this weird area where a crick comes down and the way you angle it and the way you like, it's like you, you kind of turn the corner and it's almost like stairs going up this switchback. And I'm looking behind me because like I said, again, like you have to watch the horses behind you and how, how fast you're going compared to where they are approaching the switchback like you have to be really cautious of your speed and everything otherwise it's like they're like fuck it's too fast it's too fast and they're trying to make it and then it can cause a big wreck again yeah i'm looking back and how tall i am this branch was coming down and it was like maybe a quarter inch and dude it just hits the corner of my eye and my horse keeps walking and now it's like a bow and arrow into my eye just like and I'm just like, oh, shit, shit. And I like drop the reins. I just snap it real quick. And it's like, dude, that for sure could have poked my eyeball out. Yeah. Like I think about it all the time. <laughs> I'm just, at the, like, you know, I'm so far away from anything. Like I now I have to like hold my eye in my hand and like, now we got to go, guys. <laughs> That's crazy. Okay. Wow. 
Yeah. So that that one really does stick out in my eye or in my mind a lot. Like, boy, I that could have been such a bad like the pressure I was really feeling on my eye when that stick was like bending was it was getting extreme. But luckily, I just let go of everything, grabbed it, and broke it. Okay. Last day of the client's hunt. I was going in on their last day. We were going to stay the night and then come out the morning. I get there. My boss, who is the hunting guide and the hunter, aren't there. And it's getting close to dark. And so the hunter, it's him and his dad. And then there's the cook, right? So we have the cook, the father, the son, my boss, who is also the guide, and me. I get there. No boss, no son. They think they got an elk, but no one's around. And I'm like, and then all of a sudden it's dark. Like I had to take care of all the horses and everything. And now it's dark. And they're like, hey, they're still not back. And I'm like, okay, I understand that. I'm not going to go out in the dark and look for them right now. Like, I feel like this is a bad idea. They're either going to make their way home or it's going to be search party in the morning. I'm like, I need to get sleep. This is what's going to happen. So I fall asleep real quick. I I mean, the dad is just terrified. Like his son is somewhere in the woods. That's dark now. All of a sudden they're like, Sean, wake up, wake up. They're here. They're here. And they come in and they've had a hell of a day. He got a, he got an elk and anyone who knows anything about elk hunting, it's very taxing on the body and they've been through the shit. They went up and down hills and got an elk and then butchered it and then made their way back to camp way well past dark. I'm like, everything's fine. Like, yeah, we're good. Okay. So we wake up in the morning and the dad was adamant. He's like, I do not want to ride this horse in the dark. Just know that. And we're like, okay. So we get packed up (laughs) everything as quick as possible. We ride on the 18 miles about. Four miles to camp, it is blackout. (laughs) (laughs) This guy, this guy is uh, not happy. So we get back to camp, like nothing, at that point, nothing you could do. Get back to camp, right away we get in the trucks, drive their asses to a hotel. Everyone gets a well-needed shower, enjoy themselves. Uh, Then we take them to... uh, Wake up in the morning, take them to the airport, and we have to go get the meat. Like, not only ethically and responsibly you have to go get the meat, but legally you have to go get the meat. And right now, we drop them at the airport in um, Missoula, drive back to the camp, get on our horses, ride 17 miles to get the elk. And so we put, put the whole elk on two horses, we ride really steep downhill, and then there's a drainage. So you, to get back to the trail, we had to ride down a really steep canyon and then cross a creek and then go up another one. And my boss, again, takes my advice that he, in retrospect, shouldn't have. He's like, hey, should I take these two horses at the same time up this steep area? I'm like, yeah, it'd be fine because, you know. <laughs> I mean, they only have like 300 pounds of elk on their back. They'll be able to make it. <laughs> the first elk or the first deer or Jesus, 
what animal am I talking about? The first horse is able to just barely make it up this steep thing. And then the second one is stretching. He's like, dude, dude, you're going too fast. You're going too fast. And then a portion of the trail breaks away. And he slips backward, breaks away from the horse in front of him, falls upside down with his head going downhill in this little crick. Here's the thing about horses. If you flip them upside down, all their guts push up on their lungs. Yeah. And they die, like, pretty damn quick. And my boss is like, shit, shit, shit. He gets his horse that he was leading and kind of gets it up a little bit further. And then he jumps down and he's like, shit. He's grabbing onto this horse leg, trying to move it as hard as he can. I take out my pocket knife. I cut away the cinch. It's free from the saddle. And then I wind up and start kicking it in the ass because you have to, because all of a sudden it stopped moving. And it was like, his eyes were like kind of rolling back in its head a little bit. And he starts grabbing on it. And I kick it in the ass and get the fuck out. Get out. And all of a sudden I kick it once really hard and it jolts and it rolls and it gets up. And we're like, dude. Oh my gosh, dude. Yeah. I need to tell these stories. I'm telling you. So we take off the meat. We put the saddle back on. We we cut the latigo. So we have to like jimmy it back together. It works. We get the 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 meat back on it. We're good to go. We lead it up. Horse is fine. We get up to the the top, and then we have to go about. 15 more miles and by that time it's dark so it's all in the black i mean you might as well close your eyes it's black it's complete overcast sky there's no moon it's pure black we get down we cross the river and my boss is like dude do you have any cigarettes left i'm like i have one i'm like do you have any chew left this is you know yeah during this time anything that would make uh, your life comfortable like <laughs> you were doing it and he's like, he's like, uh, no, I don't have any chew left, man. You only have the one cigarette. So we stop and we pull over. We smoke this cigarette like we're hitting a joint. <laughs> and I get back on my horse, dude, and I am rolling. I'm woo, like spitting, dude. It's crazy. <laughs> so we get back up. We get over the top. We get to our camp. We get the meat in a cooler. The cooler's turned on. It's cooling down the meat. Everything's perfect. We get the horses put away. We grade them. Everything's good. Go to sleep. We wake up in the morning. And he's like, dude, that was a wild day. I'm like, yes, sir. He's like, let's go to town. We'll get breakfast. Like, let's refuel. I'm like, that is a good idea. So we get, he gets in his truck and we start driving and we're like two miles out of camp heading towards Superior, Montana. And his windshield's real dirty. And the inside has like a film on it. And he turns a corner and the sun is just like hitting hitting it. And he's like, God, he like leans forward. He's like, God damn it, he's rubbing it. And I'm like, Sean, 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 Sean. He gets close to the edge. The, the side of the road gives way and we roll the truck. What? <laughs> roll the truck. We, dude. To the bottom of this hill is probably 300 yards. We rolled the truck and it slid right into a tree. If that tree isn't there, we're 100% dead. There is a toolbox in the extended cab truck. There's a 357. There is like a crowbar and shit. 
if that tree is not there and we start spinning, 100% it. Not even close. Dude, the, the hood of it's all smashed in. And we get rolled over and I'm, we're just like, what the fuck? Like no seatbelt on. I'm like upside down, smushed in. The the passenger, the windows are all blown out. No seatbelt. No seatbelt. Fuck no. We're in the middle of the woods. There's no danger. <laughs> oh my God. We crawl out and we're like, dude. So we have to walk. I'm in cowboy boots. It's very important to the story that I'm in cowboy boots. We walk two miles back to our camp and he's like man i'll walk to red ives and then i'll go to town i'll get a truck and i'll come back here and i'm like dude i don't want to sit here by myself all day i'm coming with you to from where we are to red ives i think is 12 miles Jeez. so in cowboy boots <clears throat> before breakfast <laughs> We flipped a truck. We flipped a horse and a truck in the same day. I walked 14 miles, and dude, we get to Red Eyes and we're just beat, dude. Just oh god, this is brutal. This truck pulls up, and my boss is like flagging him down, waving his arms. The only way I could describe this fella, it, I mean, he was a pretty flamboyant guy with two little tiny dogs. My boss is like, where are you going? He's go- He's like, I'm going to St. Regis. And I'm like, it turns out the three of us are going into St. Regis. And he just grabs me, pushes me into his car, and then he gets it. He's like, you're taking us to St. Regis right now. <laughs> the guy was like, what are you doing? I was like, we're going to St. Regis. He's like, okay. Yeah, you know, he's a real sweetheart. He's a nice guy. <laughs> so <laughs> we get into St. Regis. I order uh, two plates of food. Because I am absolutely starving. That night, they were celebrating Halloween. So we got drunk in the bar. I was using my brother's fake ID. <laughs> and we just got drunk and danced during Halloween. What happened to the truck? A few days later, a wrecker came and got it. And we drove it like a, a road. A few days later? Wasn't the, wasn't all the elk meat and stuff in there? Oh, no, no. Um, it was a, He had a uh, walk-in cooler that ran off propane. So it was good for a week. And then right when he got his truck back, we took it to the, the processing plant. Uh, but the hood was all smashed in, so we had to drive it like a lowrider because it, yeah. it was all like caved in. So not, you know, after that, we had to go back into that camp. We had to ride the 18 miles in. We had to break down the whole camp, pull all that out. We took that out. We got all the horses out. We had all of our camp, of our original base camp, the spike camps were pulled out. And on the last day, we were driving out, and just like silver dollar-sized snowflakes were just billowing out of the mountains, just covering the place in snow. And we got out of it. Um, I worked uh, the spring that year. I worked the spring bear season with him, and uh, we parted ways after that. He uh, asked me to stay a little bit longer and then skipped out on pay, but... Luckily, I had uh, his uncle's phone number, so I ended up getting paid, but kind of left a sour taste in my mouth, and that was it for my uh, working up at the St. Joe experience, kind of. I'm kind of flabbergasted. Um, <laughs> let's, <clears throat> let's try to get into the next Some question. question. So who are you? When, I, when you ask the question, who am I, that's what I've been thinking of. 
um, what led you to be this I, person? I mean, all of that led you to be. Yeah, who you are, yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah, and then and then, um, where does your inspiration come from? Like yeah. all, my my old man, man. And I talked about earlier, like uh, why I was thinking about these questions is uh, a big part of it is I lost my dad this year to cancer, which is uh, is just absolutely brutal. Yeah. Um, if anyone listening is kind of going through that part in your life i wish i had some good things to tell you but it isn't man i i, I don't did, think there are any yeah it's not say. um people would always ask me like how's that going i'm like it, all i said is it sucks because that's all it does yeah. uh so yeah but um i mean just blanket statement your inspiration comes oh, yeah. solidly from your dad. So the reason I said that is to answer your other question, like, do you feel in control in your life? What holds you down? So I was, uh, when you told me you're doing this podcast and you're asking these questions, I'm like, man, I've been thinking about this a lot. And do I feel in control of my life? Like I felt like I always did. And then I went through, uh, the four months of my dad going through cancer, which is just absolutely brutal. And I went through a, like a weird, uh, just mental anxiety that I, I didn't expect to, to have. Mm -hmm. uh, this year, my wife and daughter and grandmother went to Seattle and uh, it was during the week. So I was just like, well, if you're going to Seattle this week, I'm going to go up to the St. Joe and do a backpacking trip by myself, which is something that I'd normally just love to do. And it was really weird, like... I drove the four hours up there. I didn't listen to any music or anything. Mm -hmm. Just went, just drove up there just with my thoughts. And as soon as I got to there, to the, the end of the road, um, they changed it this year. So now is the first year that you have to like pay to uh, camp there. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have any money. And I was like, man, you have to pay to camp here. Like, I'm not really camping here. I'm going to go hike up and backpack. So I don't know if I have to camp. And I was just giving myself any excuse to like, not do it because I legit was afraid. And I went down to uh, the ranger station there and uh, talked to him and I was like, Hey, I'm going up camping. And they're like, well, if you're not using any of the campsites, you don't have to pay. You can just go up and, and do your hike. And I'm like, well, fucking great. So I hiked into the spot called trail camp. That's about three miles in and, and stayed the night. And I was just, man, like just jittery and just uncomfortable the whole time. And, hmm. and, like I went to use my stove and it wouldn't work. It came with a rebuild kit. And I'm like, well, the stove doesn't work. Now I got to get out of here. I got to walk all the way back and drive home. Like I given myself just every excuse. And I uh, ended up getting it working and, and kind of powered through it. And then I made my way up to the lodge and the, own, the owner and his son, Wyatt, were coming out and they didn't recognize me at first because wearing like sunglasses and they I they were coming out and they're like hey how, how's it going I'm like good I'm like I looked at them all hard and I was like dude and I pulled up my sunglasses and they're like oh shit it's Sean and they ended up inviting me to stay the night with them because they didn't have any clients like paying clients that were yeah. really doing it so I ended up I got to stay a night up there this year which was like oh man it was it was tough it was emotional going through all that stuff but uh, what was the question again? Do you feel in control of your life? Yeah. What holds you down? I always did. And going through cancer with someone, something I really didn't expect is that 
I didn't feel like I was anymore. Like, uh, I said earlier that I started hunting with my dad, still a huge part of my life. And I would think about like going hunting and I would, I would start getting scared. Like it's no, like hunting is no joke. Like if you're in the wilderness or something like I would be in bed, like thinking about like being in the shit and I start like, like a weird, uh, heartbeat would happen and I started getting scared for some reason. It's something I haven't really got over a hundred percent of the time, but it was something unexpected that happened from dealing with a parent that has cancer. And yeah. Do you think it was just, I mean, well, you, you obviously experienced death on a level that you had never experienced before. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, you just felt like that whole concept and idea just overwhelmed you as a person? I don't... See, I don't know what it was because, you know, being a hunter and fishing and all that stuff, like, you get a... You get acquainted with it if you understand what it really is. But when it's a lot like, you know, you ask, like, who you you are or what led you to be the person it is. And my dad was always a strong figure, you know. He was like... Mm -hmm. uh, He did... He did... uh, uh, cross country and he did wrestling and stuff yeah and he was just like a, like a tough guy like he beat up one of my brother's uh, big friends that everyone was afraid of because he was a wrestler man he's badass and he could he would beat everyone to the top of the hill and be smoking a cigarette when you get there and everyone's like what the fuck is going on and then just watching someone that that powerful like kind of waste away was uh mm-hmm. It's terrifying, man. It's brutal. Like, I wish I had some good sage advice for people. It's like, hey, if you have a loved one that's going through cancer, do this. But it's just, it's a son of a bitch, man. If if anyone's out there listening to this and thinking about quitting, like, using a tobacco product, man, just do it. Like, it, it's not worth it. My dad smoked his whole life. Just, it's bad. It's, if there's one advice I could give to anyone, it would be that for sure. All right. Um, hmm. One of the questions you ask is, have you done anything truly wrong? Can, has any of your uh, your people that you interviewed like said something where you're just like, Jesus, you did that? Or have they said anything? That's a tough one. No. Yeah, I don't yeah, think... I, there are the things that are wrong, but I don't think... Like, I, I feel like Hitler would be like, dude, there, I, there was this time in 45. When I, I actually don't <laughs> think that Hitler would say that. Probably not. He'd no, probably I, be like, nah, I was on I the right track. I don't think he actually believed that he was doing anything wrong. That's true. Um, I, I analyzed I, that question for a while and I really, like, obviously we've all done wrong things. Though I guess the worst thing I ever did is I, I, I got a DUI. It's horrible. Shouldn't have done it. Oh, that's it? The DUI? That was the horror? That's what you think? Probably the worst thing, I think. Hmm. <clears throat> I mean, I've never gotten a DUI, so I don't know. Definitely put myself in... Position where you could have... Yeah, and I definitely... You know, I shouldn't have been... Mine's the right. dumbest DUI. I'll give you the quick uh, <clears throat> the quick notes of that. So uh, my buddy and I were at a house party. We, he's like, let's go to the bar. I'm like, all right, we'll go to the bar. He's driving. We go to the bar. We meet, meet some girls. We just tell them, like... For some reason, we just tell him like the most blatant lies. Like I was a doctor from Seattle. Yeah, he was a musician. Just all this guy. Like we're just just joking around, and they're like, "Oh my god, you guys are amazing! You should come to the house." And we're just like, "Okay, let's do it. We'll go to the apartment." He pulls out of the out of the uh, street into the, the the 
you know, into the street and his uh, rear view mirror is broken and he gets pulled over. The cop right away was just like, dude, uh, let's do a field sobriety test. Apparently after he got his DUI, uh, he, it wrote in the notes, like I opened up the window of the, or he opened up the window of the car and it smelled a lot like cologne. <laughs> Cause we, we were going to go to girl's house and we were sprinting yeah. down with cologne. <laughs> and, uh, so he got a DUI right away. went to jail and I'm like, okay. And I was like, man, yeah, I've been drinking with him. And he's like, okay, I don't want you to drive tonight. I'm like, no problem. I had I called a friend and they're like, all right, we'll come pick you up. Well, my buddy, like an hour later called me up. Well, I've been at home eating top ramen and it's been an hour. It's not a big deal. I'll go pick him up. So I go to, I drove down to the courthouse and it was like, where is my buddy? And there's a cop car right there. And I'm like, where is he? And then all of a sudden the cop car or the cop got out of the car, walked over to me. And he's like, dude, you were with him earlier. Now here's your DUI. He just grabbed, he called me. Oh my gosh. <laughs> the dumbest shit. The dumbest shit. <laughs> the dumbest shit. I don't like yeah, incredible. Luckily, luckily the jail was full, so I didn't have to stay, stay a night. I, I ended up doing four days in jail. Oh my gosh! To get it to get it dropped to a negligent driving, I had to do four days in jail. Dumb as shit. Wow. Oh yeah, absolutely the dumbest shit. So that's I, a that's a fun story. I don't know if that I don't know if that's really what I was getting at when I was talking about if you've done something wrong. Right, um, right, but. Technically, but, it was hey, wrong. whatever. Um, no, I know, I know. Wow. And so, like, you know, I've stolen from a store and then I almost got caught. And so yeah. I was like, I'm not going to steal anymore. Yeah. And I've never really done anything. I mean, most of the people. I killed like 20 babies. But so. Yeah. That's not a big deal. No, it should be deal. fine. They're, 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 they weren't old enough to. Yeah. So, um. so dumb. <laughs> uh. Most people have said like things like intentionally causing harm to someone for no reason, and yeah, and that really is like one of the one of the things that I did was definitely that, and 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 that's actually why I wrote the question was oh, that's there's just something that really plagued me about the way that I treated someone. It's and, funny, uh, funny you say that. Um, Who. This is this is not what a hunter should be saying on the first introduction of a person. But when I was younger, uh, there was some um, animal misbehavior with uh, slingshots and BB guns and that kind of thing. Sure. And it I, always I, it, yeah. it always kind of plagued me because I I consider myself now like a very ethical hunter and it's very important in my life and I, I feel like it holds a big value for what America is actually. I mean, that's a, it's a much bigger topic, but, um, and I follow a uh, meat eater. It's, it, it's a show on Netflix now and in a podcast, Steve Rennell. Steve Rennell. It's fantastic. And I always thought it was just like something I kind of hid and like, man, I like, I killed frogs and just like mercilessly and birds and like tried to kill squirrels and just all this yeah. basically awful shit. Like there was no reason to do it. And then he, uh, he talked about for a moment, I would like to, it got me into this other genre where uh, Lewis and Clark wrote about Native Americans that they encountered on their journey. And the Native American children would do the exact same thing with like bow and arrows. These young kids, as soon as they got a bow, if a butterfly landed on a flower, they were trying to shoot it off. Any squirrel or mouse or chipmunk that was near them, they were just tormenting them doing mm -hmm. all that shit 
And unfortunately, I think it's like a... I think it has to do it's with a, power. It has to do with like something... When when you have like this this some, this thing that has power beyond it could. you... You you feel like enforcing it on, and you're not thinking about the consequences or anything. Right at that and, age, you're unable yeah, to grasp yeah. it. Yeah, and it's. Uh, but also, it's like I think, that, I think that's a normal thing that kids do. Like I mean, some kids, yeah. But it's also become. <clears throat> I think it's part of like becoming a hunter because those you know cultures like relied on killing game to eat. Like there's yeah. no grocery store, yeah. so they had to do it. So from a very young age, most of the kids are like, I mean, let's start killing shit. So then when it comes to time to kill shit like we're good at it yeah so it's and just like count you know just and like when they talk to their elders that said hey you need to understand what the process of life is right here, what right is going on why when these these animals are alive and yeah when they're not alive because of you and you need to respect what that means and how their life is just as important as yours and you're going to use when you take this life it has to have meaning it has yeah. to be it's something it's something you have to learn and, and children don't gather that i uh for christmas I, I got a book on hunting ethics and it talks about like the more you learn about the areas you hunt and uh and the quarry that you hunt like the more respect you have for it and that's definitely true and yeah. i think it's it's part of that learning process where i didn't have much respect for anything i was just like out like getting sure. shit yeah. and i acted you know in retrospect i would never act like that but yeah but during that time, as as a young person, I did. Yeah, it's development. What about what about the the dying for question? The what? You skipped that one. Oh. What is worth? What dying is worth dying for? for? Um, or does any any cause hold? Weight so to, yeah, I, asked, I I thought about that a lot, and I feel like whatever. Because I feel like when you were working on the St. Joe, you were putting your life on the line in many cases. Maybe. Yeah, I feel like that's a young thing, though. Like. If in the right family environment, like I probably would have also like joined the military or something like that. You know what yeah. I mean? It was that same kind of young man's thing. Like now, dude, I, I, especially after going with my, through what uh, happened with my dad, like I think back on that shit and it terrifies me. Yeah. Like that shit, like almost getting my eye poked out, flipping a horse in a truck and within 24, like that shit is terrifying. Oh yeah. It's scary. Like now I think of, like going through it, I was like, woo, we're doing it. Like, yeah, this is and like a, you're talking about. This is what I'm telling you about. Yeah. Those, yeah, those are like big events that happen, but there were plenty of small things where I'm like, what the hell? But there's a ton of amazing shit. Like I would never take it back. It's, yeah. it's incredible. Oh, totally. Um, worth dying for. So I feel like what you are experiencing as a person is what's worth. So I thought about this a lot. Like, like uh, like gay rights, like a, a gay person or someone who has like gay people in their family. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now we're at a time where things are getting better for those people. But before like before that, like you would want to fight for that and you fight to the death, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Sort of like the, the guy like in Tiananmen Square with the tank, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If you're the one being, you know subjugated to something crazy like you would be like i'm willing to die for this shit and it makes a lot of sense so i mean i don't want to get political or anything but like i have a you know i understand and realize i have like a a healthy amount of white privilege but i don't know if i'm willing to die for it but like the hunting rights in america and what it means to me is something that's very important Mm -hmm. would i die for it ask me in 10 or 20 years if i die for it then maybe yeah. But like 
it's very important and I feel like people should understand the history of it and a lot of people want to just get rid of it right away when I don't think that's right once you look at the history you're like oh okay this this is very important yeah and I don't you know I've already gone so long-winded on the old uh, St. Joe bit that no, no, we're not, we don't get yeah, into it. I, but I, I, I really appreciate that perspective. I think it's worth talking about it. No one else, I haven't had anyone even mention that kind of a thing. So, yeah. No, I think that's great. So, with that same topic, you have a question. What is your opinion about the natural hierarchy and order of reference of humanity? Yeah. Interesting thing. So... I, ex- I, I told uh, earlier that while I was doing this fishing thing, my dad got me into upland bird hunting and such a great experience. Uh, I still I like my uh, infection with uh, wanting to hunt is incredible. It, 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 I do all upland bird hunting, uh, waterfowl hunting, uh, big game, and then I got into big game hunting. My uncle took me big game hunting. I got my first deer just absolutely incredible I, I got into cooking and, and, and doing the whole process the correct way and I, I got a few deer underneath my belt uh, with a rifle very just just incredible that whole and there's so much respect that goes on nowadays with the animals and mm-hmm. all that and then I took up archery what is it Five years ago, I think. And uh, this year I got my first archery elk, which was an absolute incredible experience. And um, my arrow left my bow. I hit I hit the hit the elk. I found it right away. And I was just like, oh, my God, like this is a six year goal that I finally achieved. It was, it was incredible. I called my wife up and I <laughs> I don't even specifically remember this but she told me she's she's like you called me you said we're gonna have elk in the freezer this year and click i just hung up on her (laughs) (laughs) i don't really really remember that but i had a weird sense of adrenaline i could get you know i i'm not gonna go into the story right now but you know yeah um and she called me back and she got like a few minutes later and she goes uh your mom is gonna watch your daughter i'm tell me where you are i'm gonna help you pack it out and I fell in love with my wife again, and then she met up with me, and she uh, took took two big loads of, of elk meat out of the woods, and it was incredible. And the the question you ask is, what is your opinion about the uh, natural hierarchy order and the reference to humanity? And I feel like she, my wife had a good perspective on it because. I was driving her truck with the elk in the back of it and I have a a friend that has a walk-in cooler so I could get it cooled right away and and I would deal with processing it later. And my wife was driving into town just kind of looking at the cars that were passing her by and she's like, I just packed a giant dead animal out of the woods and these people have no idea what that means or what that's about and that hierarchy I feel like is lost like we are we are predators and we do that thing but I mean we do it nowadays by going into a grocery store and and, and, yeah. and, and picking you know styrofoam up with some packaged meat out of it and she had that real I was just 
I was just doing it like as I was driving into the world, I was just like, I mean, it's that's what a hunter does kind of thing. Like that was an incredible experience, but she was coming into it like not really. I had her I had her do some butchering where she like sawed the feet off of the main quarter of meat. And like she's like, this is brutal and crazy. I'm like, your food's now brutal and crazy. And she kind of paused for a moment and was like, oh, yeah. And now we eat it. Like we had you and your wife over for dinner. And it was so amazing. Yeah. Thank it was, you. Yeah, it was awesome. So it was really interesting to hear her perspective of how like this hierarchy exists and it's almost lost on uh, on modern society, you know? I, I totally agree. Yeah. That aspect you know, of it. Getting a large animal and, and hack, you know, packing it out on your back will uh, put things in perspective. Putting the arrow in the animal will really put things in perspective. All that stuff. I can't imagine. It's crazy. Yeah. I would love to go in some of those things in more in depth, but like the, you know, the main, really the main thing I wanted to talk about was up at the, up at the Joe and that experience, those experiences, because I mean, they were just, uh, it was wild, man. And yeah, I think about them now and some of them absolutely terrify me, but they make, that's who I am now or it's who I'll always be. It's crazy. (laughs) It it really is crazy. (laughs) Well, did you did you think about the last question? Because this one is really hard for people sometimes. It is really hard. And uh, what's your theme song? Yeah, it doesn't. Uh, I don't know if it really fits, but I I did think about it, and I think I think I got. It. I like uh, Steve Earle's rendition of a Town Van Zant song, Poncho and Lefty. Oh, do you know that tone? Totally. It's a classic jam. Yeah. It doesn't really fit, but it's, um, I think that's it. If, if the lyrics aren't, don't follow a hundred percent, which they don't, I wasn't a fucking outlaw shooting up people. Yeah. But kind of the tone and the, the tempo of it and the, the feeling around the song, I feel like works the best for what we're talking about today. And, uh, I play the banjo and that's one of my go-to songs I always play. I love, I love jamming to that song. So it's cool. That's awesome. Steve Earls, Poncho, and Lefty. Look it up, y'all. Yeah. Y'all. Well, that is not what I expected at all. I didn't think and so. Holy smokes, I didn't man. think so. That, I mean, thank you. That was so incredible. It's gonna, yeah, buddy. It's going to reach people in such a different way than... I hope so. What? I, I mean, well, you'll see when you, when you listen to the other podcasts of... Uh, this this went in such a different direction. It was amazing. Uh, yeah, and that's. I'm. I mean that those you. those stories are just like they've always been there, and I've never really shared them. Like, I mean, I've I've kind of like tinkered around about like writing them down because it's 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 nuts, man. Like it's, a lot of it, that shit's crazy. The whole time I was thinking of that movie, The Revenant. <laughs> I was just like, this is totally like, oh, it's, this is such a movie. I really enjoy that. I really enjoy that movie. And I, I recently, I just watched it like a couple weeks ago. And yeah, it brings back some of those memories. But it's, it is, you know, quite a bit different. Oh, I know. But there's there's a lot of cool... The, the hardships of nature in, in oh, dealing yeah. with, like on every everyday basis and just dealing with whatever happened. I mean, just like tripping on a stick and rolling your ankle. That changes everything. 
Oh yeah. And it's just like you have to deal with that. Yeah. And yeah, no, I, I, I so, this is this is just so beyond, like, the general scope of what I've talked about with other people. Yeah. It just it's, yeah. I yeah. It's I, don't, awesome. I just I just don't think a lot of people. And I didn't know it. any of this about I know, you. I know. No, not a lot of people do. <laughs> Um, so when we go, I'll tell one last story. So it was during hunting camp. Uh, I was actually going to, uh, I, I can't exactly remember. I think I was up at the camp, the last hunt that we had where we flipped the horse and everything. And I think I dropped stuff off there, but then I was going to go through the camp where the lodge was. Mm-hmm. So I got to the lodge right about dark and I met up with them and I was like, hey, are we going through? And they like tried to give me food and all this. And I'm like, no, no, I'm good. I got I got to be down here. He's expecting me at a certain time. And it's like, okay, okay, we'll see you later. Bye. And then we're about three miles in and the, the, the trail goes steep uphill. And then it's a part part that we call a point. And it, it turns, It's you're in this wide open area where the river's down below you like 200 yards and it opens up and then... It's just like a, a base, not a basin, it's just a flat area full of trees for a while. And then it goes back up into a distant hillside mountain. And now it's at night and it's a full moon. And my horses are just behaving perfectly and the temperature is real mild. And they're just, mm-hmm. just walking. And... I'm on the trail and it, it, it drops off steep to the left and the, the trees are coming up. So like tops of really high trees are like right at my kind of eye level yeah. or a little bit above my eye level really. And there's a hawk on top of this tree and I'm walking and my horse is walking and all of a sudden I get in line with the full moon directly behind the hawk and right as the moon is directly behind the hawk the silhouette the silhouette the hawk goes and does like a hawk scream (laughs) and then i just keep and then i just keep walking in the dead silent of night that's crazy even that shit still (laughs) gives me chills thinking about it can't imagine. Wow. Thank you. Yeah. 